Hello and welcome to another edition of Your Money, Your Life, Black Enterprise Series on All Things Financial Wellness. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr., Senior Vice President and Executive Editor of Law at Black Enterprise. And this edition of Your Money, Your Life is brought to us by Prudential. Listen, we are always talking about financial wellness in the context of wealth creation, um, leaving a legacy of financial understanding and wellness within our communities. And today we have a perfect topic to address the conversation and the perfect guest to talk about it. The topic is teaching principles of financial wellness to our children. And please welcome to the show, Johnny Curry, founder of Purse Empowerment. Johnny, thanks for coming back for Your Money, Your Life. Thank you, thank you, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's get caught up because it's been a couple of years since I think it was pre-pandemic the last time we talked on this show. Uh, what's happening with Purse Empowerment? I, I know I was preparing for this interview. I went to the site with all kinds of new resources and new things that you're doing. Get us a little bit caught up about Purse Empowerment as a financial wellness and education resource and what you've been doing um, on your journey as a financial and, and media personality. Uh, so mostly, um, I think uh, two years ago, we were just getting into the pandemic. So we were just talking a lot about some of the anxiety surrounding just managing money in such a cumbersome financial climate. I think um, that was most of the focal point. Um, I find um, with my clients that I'm working with, as many of us have come down from the pandemic high, we're still dealing with the impacts of it overall. So um, a lot of the resources that I have in place, some of my financial courses, um, I have a new book called Money Therapy um, that is really helping you being able to kind of source um, your emotional well-being so that you can continue to create financial wealth. Um, just taking care of your mental health um, so that it correlates with your um, personal finances overall. Um, so a lot of my newer resources are to address many of the anxiety points that we were seeing over the last two and a half, three years. Talk to me about where you are um, taking the personal empowerment mission and message forward as we go into the new year is we hear terms like inflation and the threat of recession. What, what, are, what are the things that you're hearing from your clients um, and what are the things that you're, you're putting out there in terms of their mindset and approach going forward? So, um, again, I, and I don't really like to continue to use this buzzword because um, I know that it's just triggering to kind of hear, but there are so many things that can create financial insecurity at this particular time. Uh, one of them is largely a large um, demographic of my clientele was impacted by um, the student loan freeze, right? Um, benefited, I should say benefited, but they're also going through the impacts of the highs and lows and memorandums in terms of the pause. So um, just having some frustration um, surrounding, am I going to get the $10,000? Um, my income disqualified me for the $20,000 with the Pell Grant. So there is a lot of financial focus on, you know, is this going to happen or are they kind of dangling this cabot, you know, this carrot in front of me, you know, to, you know, get my election vote, you know, have me to looking at them in a particular way. So there is one side of it when it comes to just preparing um, many of my clients to continue to pay their student loans um, so that they can, you know, many of them, many 
in my clients were able to get refunds because I was always kind of promoting to go ahead and pay it off because the interest was frozen on them at that zero percent. So that was really, really great. So for those that can are um, the other thing that is happening, a large um, portion of my demographic of clientele are, you know, investors. They want to invest in home ownership. Many of them come to me to uh, rebuild their credit. Um, so when you see things like rate hikes, um, you see things like inflation, um, that's going to create, um, you know, low consumer confidence. You know, um, people don't want to see that. Um, one of the experiences that I have many of my clients looking at, just in case of terms like inflation and recession, um, they don't really hit home because sometimes when you hear it so much, so much, so much, you become a little desensitized from the information. So um, like I was talking to you about two years ago, looking and staring is very meditative when it comes to your money. So I'll have some my clients to actually look and stare at their, you know, their, their, their billing statements so that they can see their interest rates. You know, when you look at your interest rates, the life, the loan is maybe $2,500, but $300 of that is going towards your payment. That's a lot, you know, that's a lot. So um, being able to bring home that conversation, going to the grocery store and just looking at some different items, you know, really puts you, you know, in the place of recession. When you look at bread that was once $249, that's now $369, $449. Milk was $2, now it's now $369. So um, these are all, even for people that are super savers, they're having to make, you know, some plentiful adjustments um, amidst all the changes. You know, the thing about your particular approach to how you share content, how you communicate your advice, and one of the things that makes me such a big fan of your on Instagram is that you address and acknowledge the anxiety that many of us feel around money in general, and particularly around these issues around inflation, et cetera. But at the same time, you, you, you do it in such a way, and I, and I kind of want you to get into it, that it's very um, fun designed to remove the anxiety, to get people to look at it in the face, but to be able to address it in a way that's fun and entertaining and and, and takes some of the edge off of the really yeah. hard issues that we face in this current economic climate. Yeah, so when you look at the data, right, when you look at the financial data surrounding the amount of money that the average American has in their savings account, depending on where you're looking, um, there are just like some national stats out there that's saying that the average American has $400 in their um, savings account, which is different from your investment account. They're just talking about money you can touch. Um, six to nine months reserve. They're saying that's like about $400. And then when I look at peer research, it's saying maybe about $4,000. So which of, whichever one of those numbers that you're most comfortable with, I like peer re pre-research because they tend to be a little bit more, you know, hands-off, have a little bit better at ram random sampling, which I prefer. But even if it's $400 to $4,000 and then you're dealing with, uh, you know, your, your, um, your rent going up. I live in South Florida. Rent e increases as high as $500 a month. So even if you did have a cushion, if you're at the $400, don't even, you know, like, don't even, like, what are you going to do? You know, you got to get another job. You got to cut down, you know, aggressively. But if you're at the $4,000, that is going to be 
um, reduced drastically, right? So I know Instagram is a place, or social media is a place where we are able to kind of project that, you know, everything is going well, everything is fine, everything is wonderful, everything is beautiful. And in some regards, yes, yes, there is beautiful pictures and things like that. But when we get down to how people are really, you know, dealing with, you know, economy where there are no more stimulus checks to address any type of disadvantages that you were experiencing, there is not any PPP loans, PPP loans, there's not a whole lot of those financial resources that was being dumped into the economy, hence inflation to kind of balance it out. Some of those things have been completely, you know, removed from us. Um, so now we're dealing with, you know, what is it that you earn and what is it that you burn? That's what it really comes down to. And, and if you're burning up a whole lot of money, then I want to be a resource to kind of help you be able to kind of disconnect that emotional wellhouse so that you can begin to make better um, financial decisions. Uh, largely, when I'm working with individuals, um, I also find um, with a lot of my clients, some of them are actually doing better than what they think, right? So not having the information about their credit scores, um, not being proactive because of you know financial security, insecurity, and financial avoidance. Sometimes they don't look at their statements. They don't want to look at those things. They kind of just you know push them away. So sometimes after I get them to, okay, let's just look at your credit report. Are you ready to go ahead? Let's look at your credit report. Sometimes it's not as bad as they think. Um, and then some of the items that are on their credit report are very easily removed so that their credit score can go ahead and, you know, recuperate. And therefore, you can get reduction on interest rates and then you can get increases um you get increases on your credit cards, you know, so that's some of the things. So that's going to help out your utilization. So being able to kind of augment, you know, how you're dealing with it in terms of your financial avoidance um, and on top of just looking at what you burn, you know, and what makes you burn money, you know, what creates the space of you just, you know, spending and spending and spending. You, you do a, a great job of, uh, you just hinted at it, getting your clients to, to to not go by how they feel about their money or their financial situation and get them to focus on what they actually know about their money because often our feelings about our money are inaccurate because we don't want to look enough to know the deal. And like you said, often things are better than we really thought they were. Or even if they were what we thought they were, we're basing it on reality and we can move make some decisions on that. Yeah, it's better to deal with your reality. You know, it's better to deal with the reality of not having or the reality of having, and then you can make an adjustment. But while you kind of put yourself in limbo, you put your space in the space of inaction, right? You say, I don't know. Like, that's one of the top things that my clients would say to me. If I say, well, you know, how much, you know, what is your credit score? You know, I don't know, right? Or I say, well, why is your credit score what it is? You know, I don't know, right? But once you become empowered by the information that, oh, I have a few collections that need to be removed. I need to reduce my utilization. Um, I need to apply for a credit card. These are things that I actually can do. So now this whole idea of not knowing has been replaced with knowing and now you can act on the knowing that you now have. So knowing is probably one of the biggest steps that I like to um, move my clients to, to move them out of that financial avoidance into action. You know, to take this conversation you know, closer to what I really wanted to talk with you about today is about Another thing that we learned, maybe we knew before the pandemic, but we really learned it during the pandemic, 
is the degree to which our mindset, our anxieties, our attitudes, our values directly impact our, our young people, our children in particular. I mean, you're a mom, but when we were, you know, kind of isolated and cloistered, um, a lot of times our kids' sense of comfort, confidence, security, anxiety drew directly from our own issues, which probably got from our parents and they got from their parents. Um, but but talk to me and, and you know and spend more time during the course of this conversation around how important it is for us to be conscious of both the messages we're sending both directly and indirectly to our children about our financial situations today and what they believe about money going forward. Yes, so um, I have two boys, uh, one 10 and 12, and I think um, when we were together, they were two years younger, right? Um, so um, what they, what I've always had is that even me as a entrepreneur, um, I have lived in a few different financial spaces, and I've always been very, very open and um, honest with my children about um the plethora of financial phases that I have undergone as a entrepreneur, um, as a woman, as a person. So these are not things that I shield them from, right? Um, I, I like to think of myself as being someone who can um, demonstrate um, financial discipline in the midst of change, right? Um, I also want to be someone who can be honest about where I am financially. Um, this is um, can help me reduce, you know, getting into debt that is not really necessary at that particular time. So one of the things that I like to do is have a very open honest um, dialogue with my children about where I am financially and how that impacts them. Now, as we graduate into different spaces, it represents different restaurants for them. It represents different types of vacations for them. It represents different neighborhoods for them, different types of transportation. All of these are economic lessons, right, um, that we have the opportunity to decode. So then there is just... You know, kind of the subconscious knowing that they're getting from these interactions with you, um, looking at your response to, you know, an increase in an interest rate on your cards, you know, looking at your response as like an increase to, you know, gas prices going up. All of those different things are experiences that, you know, that they're having. And then there's always the tactile experience of money. So. My boys, they love Roblox. You know, if you if you have any children, you know, in that age group, they love Roblox, right? So um, when my children fall in love with a particular product, I'm going to also help them to fall in love with the stock, right? I'm going to have them to research that particular stock. I want them to know the stock symbol, right? I want them to know, well, how much money are they making from me investing in this? Um, I'll say, so how, you know... Um, how much is this one worth? And so every time that they want to go ahead and get like a $10 or $20 gift card, they also purchase a share within the stock. I think that one right now is probably maybe about $46. So they can't always buy a whole, you know, share of it. Sometimes they can, sometimes they can't, but they're able to buy, you know, within it. So um, I like the experience of both, you know, there's the emotions of money and then there's the mathematics of money, right? And there's savings and then there's investing. 
Um, when they give money for their birthdays, it's like, okay, you're going to go ahead and put 10% away, you know, right off the bat. That's how, that's how, I think that's how I'm very easy to save is because when I went to church with my grandmother, that was always one of the easiest things that she said, you know, 10%, you know, it, it wasn't it, like 10%, you know, so if you had a dollar, it's a dime, you know, it's no problem. Here you go. Right. right. So, <laughs> so that made that very, you know, very easy. So I want them to be able to have that, um, a part of who they are in terms of being able to make sure that you save and invest because I grew up understanding saving didn't really understand a whole lot about investing so now that I have that understanding I want them to have both both you know understanding saving putting money to the side so that you can invest or you know your risk tolerance will allow you to invest because you have no saving you don't want to invest it doesn't work you know it's just too much on your stomach but if you have you know a middle ground then you're able to take advantage of both of those both saving and investing you know, um, you and I, very similar my situation. I came out of a household where I totally got saving. I totally got managed into a budget. So the idea of investing, which is necessary to understand to really kind of accumulate wealth and grow your money, was something I didn't learn until well into adulthood. Uh, that, you know, you're right on point. This so we're going to take a pause and, and before we continue our conversation about teaching principles of financial wellness to our children and, and uh, take a pause for our sponsor for this episode Prudential. Prudential knows the importance of having a rock in your life. Everyone needs a rock. A rock can help turn the far-fetched into within reach. And when you have one, you can reach your potential, your dreams, and your goals. And when it comes to your financial goals, Prudential is the rock you can rely on. If you're knowledgeable financial professionals, Prudential can help you get to new heights. Plan, invest, insure, retire. Visit Prudential.com. Who is your rock? So, Shani, I, I really want to do a kind of a deeper dive with the time we have left. And before we uh, got on the air and you were talking about some of the things that you're really stressing with your clients, you talked about the importance of uh, being able to talk to your children about boundaries or set boundaries around money, but at the same time not create a sense of deprivation, uh, you know, and why that's important, not only for their appreciation for where you may be today as a parent with household finances, but in terms of their, the impact on their mindset around finances as they grow older and began to make money decisions themselves. Talk about why you think that was so important and you stressed that to me even when you agreed to do the stuff. Yeah. So money has phases, you know, money has phases and that's where we're having the opportunity. So I think that that is one of the um, biggest principles that I try to drive home, you know, as a parent in terms of adaptation. Adaptation is going to be your strong suit in the midst of wherever you are. So um, I like to have that type of vulnerability with my children so that they can adapt to change, you know, um, build up a tolerance for change, make change um, be a part of your, you know, normalcy, right? Don't have a, you know, um, disregard for it or not being able to approach it. So that would probably be, you know, my first line of defense of giving them the emotional strength to handle change, 
financially, um, set boundaries financially. Um, one of the other things that I practice with them is there is an amount that you can go ahead and spend, you know, whatever it is that you want at the beginning of the month, you have a budget for it, you spend it. And sometimes my son will try to negotiate with me and say, Hey, you know, um, and sometimes he wins, sometimes he wins, you know, that's the thing about it because there goes that flu, you know, you want to have that bit of flutie because sometimes in your budget you can, sometimes you can't. So I don't always say no. And I don't always say yes, because I want to mimic, you know, actuality as much as I can, but he will negotiate. He's a strong negotiator. He'll say, okay, well, I already used my money for the month of, um, I already used my money for the month of November. Can I go ahead, you know, I have some money reserved. Can I go ahead and just spend for now? And then I won't do for December. I'm like, no, he says, you know, I also realized that Christmas is coming up. You know, all these holidays are coming up. I'm going to get more money. So I like the fact that, you know, he's in it. You understand? Like he's vested. So the conversation is being driven home. And I, I, I like that part. Talk to me about sometimes the, the, and I think you've already kind of set it up, getting your kids accustomed to the idea that things are changed, that things change, that what we, there are times when, you know, usually the biggest thing is kids will say, well, we could do that last year. Why can't we do that this year? And, or, or, you know, and, and talk to me about when, when change. So it's not, I mean. Yeah, it's not really even something that you have to kind of conjure to mm -hmm. create. It's kind of like, you know, reality. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You're going through these many phases. And what I find oftentimes with my clients is that they're having these huge financial adjustments in their lives. You know, reductions in income, reduction in clientele, and they're still trying to maintain this lifestyle to shield their children from it. You know, refusing to move, um, refusing to ask for help, refusing to get another job, just refusing to do the necessary thing that you really don't have to kind of, you know, create is actually there for you to go ahead and use your environment to elicit the lessons that you need to, you know, financially survive. So it's just not in that shielding. It's not something that you need to kind of put together. You know, life is such a, a, a really beautiful teacher that, you know, only thing you have to do is just listen to the lessons and don't hide from them, you know? Um, allow yourself to see what it is that you need to see. Um, oftentimes, um, like I have like a lot of my, uh, a lot of my clients, they may be in a different phase in their business or they may be in a different phase of their of their marriage and um, they'll have college age children and they refuse to, you know, suggest to that child that they need a job. They will refuse to do it. You know, they would much rather continue to borrow against their 401k, which I'm totally not in support of. Um, they will do, you know, they will do all types of things in this really, um, in this, in this very, you know, strong dedication. And I believe in legacy building and I also believe in education. I support it, but not to the degradation of yourself, you know, because this is money that you're going to have to retire. So you kind of got to stand in the middle of it um, and be willing to make those adjustments, especially um, if the child is in a degree, you know, they're not, you know, they're not complete, you know, you know, they're not in their finishing year. They're not, you know, it's not like they're in a doctor. So they're going to, you know, if they had like a part-time job, it wouldn't, you know, drive them crazy, you know, be willing to make some of those type of adjustments, even having affordability conversations with your children saying, hey, you know, it's a lot better for you to go to a public school. It's a lot better for you to go to a community college. It's a lot better for us to work on scholarships. Instead of it, they kind of have like this hands on, you know, hands off kind of approach, let the child pick it and they just load up loads of debt and just, you know, want to buy into that societal 
um, ideology of supporting the child in college while you realistically cannot afford it. You know, cars, I'll see like expensive cars. Like I'll look at my clients' budgets and they'll have like a $600 car and then there's a $600 car for the kid and that's $1,200 very easily. You know, so being willing to make those adjustments, you know, early on, you know, um, I hope that in having these conversations with my children now that wherever financial state that I find myself in, I don't, I don't pretend to be richer or broker, you know, I'm just as I am. So I use the resources as they are allocated. So wherever you find me in that space, I want to manage well. I want to be a good steward. So that's 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 my story. It's not really socially engineered to, you know, create this person. It's based off the, you know, financial financial realities of the household. Well, you, you make a really strong point. And, you know, all my children are, are, are you know, adults in their 30s. But being honest with them and transparent and engaging them when they were young made it a lot easier for them to adapt to change when they were teens or college age or, or young adults. When I said, I, I will do this, but I won't do that. Or you need that. Yeah. You don't. And, 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 I, and the other thing that I recognize, and you said your oldest is 12. Um, yeah, my oldest is 12. <laughs> he's, he's entering that phase. And I always tell people, by the time they're 12, 13, 14, 15, they can tell when you're faking the funk. Like they have a bullshit meter, you know. Like they know. Oh, yeah. that so you create a cognitive, cognitive, uh, cognitive oh, yeah. when you say things oh, yeah. are this way, and they're looking around them, and they know it's not oh, yeah. the thing. Yeah. So, so I see some parents do that, depending on you know, depending on what their finances are. Sometimes uh, I do find some of my clients to. Um, augment in terms of looking richer than they are. And then I have some clients that look broker than they are, right? Um, it turned me to give this superficial reality as opposed to um, giving the child the reality of their finances so that the child can operate within the realms of the finances of that particular household. Um, if it grows, then it shows. If it stagnates, then we make adjustments, right? And the real idea behind this is one self-preservation for the self because that is going to be the first law you know of money making sure that you're not thinking so much about the other that you don't have any consideration for the self so that's going to be self-preservation that's going to be rule number one and then the second thing that i'm thinking about is that later they're going to find themselves in all type of financial flocks they're going to find themselves in so many different spaces no matter how much reserves that i put in front for them no matter how much you know i can invest in the business that they have there's just going to be things that they're going to want to accomplish themselves without me being a part of it. And they're going to have to know how to go through those ebbs and flows. So exposing them to ebbs and flows a lot sooner will create that, you know, that human grounding that they need to lose that first job and get that first elk and drop out of that first class and get back in. You know, they need to be told no and not in an augmented way, but in reality. You know, the sooner you learn to respond to failure, the better off you are you know because it's, that's just it that's just it you're gonna you're gonna experience that you, you hit it on a point that we could probably do a whole nother show on so a point in it uh when we uh, for, for another time when you come back on the show but i do want to delve into just just saying that often parents well-meaning especially black parents uh -huh. when they're trying to shield their children from the challenges and you know they say they don't want their children to experience what they may have experienced growing up in terms of deprivation mm -hmm. challenges and financial difficulties mm -hmm. and and they do fail to, pre to prepare their children 
for inevitable adversity. Doesn't that necessarily be following you? It's just there. It's just going to be there. Someone yeah. is just going to die. You know, yeah. someone's going to die. You're going to have to deal with death. Um, you know, you're going to have an abundance of resources, um, and you're going to have a reduction of resources at some point of your life. You're going to experience a loss. So um, allowing your reality to reflect that now is way better than later, you know, creating this cookie cutter kind of reality for you that, you know, is really, really hard to uphold. And then you have, you know, the anxiety, you know what I'm saying, that causes you to, you know, get into large amounts of consumer debt because you also feel the need to keep up, you know, this false reality to yourself, you know, whether it be a car, whether it be a house, whether it be a neighborhood, uh, that's, that's, that's just a huge thing. So getting that dose of reality for whatever your reality may be, I don't think you should augment it. I don't think you should pretend to be richer or broker than you actually are. I think that you should allow your children since they're going to be the, you know, the receivers of the wealth that you're going to transfer over to them. They should be dealing with it as soon as possible, you know, um, knowing that, you know, my children know that we own more than one property. So they refer to, oh, are we going to go to this property? Is this property being rented out? What's happening with this house? You know, that's conversation that they're already having. Um, they'll say, Mommy, I think that you need to go ahead and get a new car. Well, I'm not going to get a new car, right, at this particular time because there's another property that we want to get. And I don't want to tie up my income in a car when we can buy a house. Maybe when we sell the house, we'll go ahead and flip it in and maybe we'll buy that car. Then we keep looking at the Tesla. So those type of conversations, you know, we have. Um, I've heard, um, so I've, I've had the opportunity to kind of have a conversation with a few um, in the, you know, black wealth. And then I've had the opportunity to also experience, you know, just American wealth, you know, on the other, you know, on the other side. And um, because I, I, I've, I've had conversations with black, and I've just had, I've just kind of set in the middle. There are some very interesting things um, that I see happened, um, particularly with those of us that um, have some wealth. Sometimes what happens when it's time to pass along the b b baton, there is like this mass delay because um, what can sometimes happen is there wasn't any struggle. Like there wasn't any struggle. You know what I'm saying? Like you need a little bit of struggle to give you some creativity. You know what I'm saying? You need a little bit for your ingenuity. So sometimes I find in the households and you know, there was like loads of money put away from college. Kids not going to college. Kid doesn't care about it. Kid's like, kid doesn't want to care. Kid wants to work at Best Buy. You know what I'm saying? Like not interested. You know, they have like an Ivy League degree. Like not interested, you know? So, you know, so I've, I've seen that. I've had the opportunity to do that. I've had the opportunity to see, you know, where individuals will be training their children up to, you know, work in this business that they spent their entire lives um, creating and the children are totally disinterested, right? Um, I have not been on the planet long enough to be able to, you know, be able to test out some of my thoughts, but this is just a thought. I just think that it needs a little bit of sweat equity in there, just a little bit, you know, just a little bit. I don't know how much. It's interesting because you don't know how much to dump into it, <laughs> you know, that's going to, you know, call, you know, you don't know, you don't, you don't know how much of a little bit of struggle is going to dump property mentality in, so you don't want to put too much in, <laughs> you know, you're trying to figure out what is the balance here, you know, so I've, I've, I've seen that, 
um, before, and then I also listened to Warren Buffett, who says that he's going to leave all of his money to charity. He's not going to give them anything. You know, he's not. He's not doing it. There's no. There's no transference of wealth. You know. Um, yeah, I, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm in the school where I definitely didn't and didn't intend to leave my kids worse off than I than I was. But that said. I want my my goal as a parent was to have them struggle enough so that I knew that no matter what happened they could make it. Like they had enough confidence in the face of adversity that if things went left for them, I wouldn't be tossing and turning in the middle of the night saying, "Oh my God, what are they going to do?" Because I know they struggled enough to have resilience and yeah. belief that yeah, this ain't. I'm not happy about this, but I'm gonna be all yeah. right. Because yeah, but I'm gonna you know I'm gonna make it. You know I'm gonna make it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I'm gonna make it. So we just, yeah, that's just that's that's just interesting because then you don't, you know, sometimes you know, well, sometimes depending on how soon you're exposed to it, it, it can give you like, you, you know, you're a little fragile, you know, it's a little fragile, you know, you're a little fragile, you know. Um, so I, I try to I try to do the best I can to to balance out and augment in the way that okay, you know, I want to, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, and that's interesting. But then, there, you know, then there's Warren Buffett who says, you know, I'm not leaving anything. I'm not, I'm not leaving you anything. You know, like nothing. You know. But then there's nepotism and there's all this stuff. So <laughs> that's the thing. You know. I'm reminded when I when I first read the first time I read A Millionaire Next Door, and and one of the themes that came out of it is that your parents' money is not your money. Yeah. It's still that early. Not that it means you're not going to share your money with your kids, but for them to see a, a definite difference between the, the I think Shaquille O'Neal told his kids that this is my wealth. You got to yeah. go make your wealth. I'm willing to help you with that, but what's mine is mine. You got to do your own. And I think I, I, I happen to buy into that. I'm willing to help you. Yeah, with mine. that's so interesting, right? There, that's a, it's so interesting where there's there's this whole. So here it is, right? So there's this ideology that my money is my money, and I'm not saying that I sign off on that. I'm not. I'm not really sure. I'm still in the okay. building. Yeah. I'm getting close. I'm still in building. I don't marry a thought very easily. Yeah. So so that's that's one layer, right? So when there's this ideology that supports, okay, my money is my money, and you need to make your own money. But eventually, my money is going to be your money. So I need to give you enough exposure to my money so that you don't exploit it. You understand? So there's that middle ground of exploitation of wealth because you didn't have it. So maybe if I kind of had you very menial for a period of time and then you're moving over to now, you know, you're maybe in your 40s, 50s, you know, whatever age it is, you get this pot of money, whether it's from, you know, the selling of property, whether it's from, you know, a life insurance. And because you've never had any experiences with wealth, you exploit yourself. So you have to have like this middle ground of where you understand that this this is my money now, but at some point you're going to have access to this money. So I need you to have some skill sets to know that you're not going to exploit, you know, the money that I put aside so that you can move along. Oh man, that was an aha moment for me. For me, yes, my yeah. money is my money, yeah. but eventually it's going to be your money. Yeah, eventually it's going to oh. be your money, right? So neither of us can exploit um, this diet, you know, diet you know, dynamic, you know, both of us are kind of into this, you know, um, and then it's just the need for you to have your own creativity, which is essentially what you're saying. You know, I don't want you to live off of my creativity because I don't want to deprive you of your own creative process. So giving you and pumping you with so much of my money can possibly stagnate that for you. Mm. Yeah, that, that, this is so good. Again, we could talk forever. 
before we wrap up our conversation, is there one or two final thoughts that you want to leave for those of us um, who really want to, you know, really uh, lay a foundation of financial wellness around money with our kids? Um, one of the hugest things is to uh, don't hide, share, share money and share information uh, so that the sooner they have exposed, you know, exposure to the information, um, that hopefully in the exposure of information, they do not exploit the information, but that's going to be your own process. And then um, make sure you're doing the step up where you're doing the savings, but now you're moving into the investing so that they can begin to um, know the value. Right now we are in a recession. And if we look at any of the studies, this is where many people made their millions because they were able to go ahead and get into the market when it was really, really low. And then when it kicked up, they were able to benefit from that. So that would be um, the, the two highest points that I would definitely want to share. Um, follow me for sure on Instagram. Um, that's where I hang out the most. Um, I have a new book out. It's called Money Therapy. So some of the conversation that I'm having with you today gives you the opportunity to have that conversation. So that would be it. Well, I'm going to tell um, the audience, you definitely want to follow Shani on Instagram. You definitely want to visit her site, PerseEmpowerment.com. You definitely want to get her new book, Money Therapy. Shani, thank you so much for, once again, being a guest on Your Money, Your Life. You're welcome. And I'm Alfred Edmund Jr., Senior VP, Executive Editor at Large at Black Enterprise. This has been another, another edition of Your Money, Your Life, brought to you by Prudential. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.